Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church, virtual church. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. And as you're turning there and getting situated, uh, just a couple of announcements. Again, we've put it out in the e-newsletter. If you don't uh, sign up for the e-newsletter, please go ahead and sign up for it. That's where you can get all the most current information about the church. Um, you can get prayer requests, and it's just a, a great way to stay uh, connected. Um, we are trying to do our last push for uh, church directories since the shutdown. A lot of um, you know things have kind of shaken out, and, and we've been on sort of pause and trying to get them going. Uh, we are now trying to wrap them up. We've had a few new people uh, join the church since since the coronavirus, which is a huge blessing. And so we're grateful for those of you who are new to our church family. Uh, we would love for you to reach out to Melanie or simply reply to the e-newsletter, uh, email, contact us through the church website. However, let us know who you are. Uh, get, I'd like to get a little picture with directory. It stays just within uh, those who call uh, Grace Point, their church home. And so on service times for the the live, the online streaming, it's going to remain the same. Same, We're going to keep holding to 9.30 a.m. And as we get closer to the outside service, uh, we believe right now at October 4th, that Sunday, we're hoping that it will cool off enough that we can sort of push back the, the start time of the service. And so on October 4th, our tentative plan right now is to move that to 9.30. And so we will live, um, we'll do our online at 9.30, and then we'll have our outside time at 9.30 also. And so with today's heat, boy, it is sure hot this weekend. Uh, I hope you are in a cool place where you're comfortable and can study the Word of God. Uh, for those of us who are going to be live, uh, like outside, uh, it's going to be a warm one. So my plan today was to stay short, and I don't know, hopefully that will uh, happen because I want to be very courteous to those that are baking in the sun. And so hopefully we'll keep it short today. And so with that, let's pray and we'll look at our passage. Again, it's First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Uh, please, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this time that we have to gather together, even though uh, we're, we're apart, but what we come together at 9.30 uh, to, to watch uh, the service, Lord, uh, together. And Lord, we're going through the same material together as a congregation. And so, Father, I pray for those uh, that are listening now that you would open our hearts and minds. And Lord, may your word uh, speak to us uh, at our core, Lord, may we uh, be touched by your word. May we grow closer to you, and may we become more like you in how we live our lives. We do thank you for this time, and we ask that you will guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much 
that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And so, Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask now that you would uh, lead us, Father. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Last week we ended sort of in midway through the verse 6. Depending on the, well, not even depending on the translation, you have all of the translations differ of how they punctuate and sort of handle um, between verses six and seven, and the the real the reason is is in the Greek it's it's very difficult to sort of navigate. Should it be a comma, semicolon, period? Uh, what's the flow of thought? It all it all kind of works together, and so we see this difficulty in the translation in the in the grammar of the Greek. It works itself out in the English language in the various translations. And so in the NIV, which I've been going through, through this study, just for me, for my, for like my personal soul care kind of reading out of a different translation that I'm used to, uh, it forces me to, to sort of see the text in a, in a new and refreshing way. So I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have enjoyed the study also. Um, but we're backing up to verse six. So we, I know we looked at this last week. Verse six says, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And so Paul had been facing a number of accusations. Uh, he, he was in uh, Thessalonica for only a, a matter of a few weeks, and he was run out of town. And, and as he was run out of town, uh, there were those that were making accusations against him. Unfortunately, during this time, as now, there's, there's many uh, religious scam artists, and they were trying to discredit Paul's reputation to these new believers in Thessalonica. And so Paul is reaching out to them, and he, uh, last week we looked that he pointed to the integrity of his heart and uh, who he was sort of on the inside, and the reason that he uh, was able to sort of um, live his life in the way he lived it is because he only cared about an audience of one, that he lived his life for God, and he knew that in living for him and recognizing that one day he would stand before his creator and give an account for his life. It affected how he lived and ministered and cared for uh, people. And so when he went into Thessalonica, he was most important about God and God's feelings about the integrity of Paul's heart. And so Paul, last week, we, um, as he defends himself, he points this out to them and says, you know what? I wasn't looking for praise from men. I I wasn't looking for praise for you or for anyone else because I stand before God. And so now as we look at the next two weeks, for the next two weeks, I thought about doing it all this week, but the heat was like, I, I really felt inclined to, to slow it down. And so so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at sort of some of the the externals of Paul's ministry, and he he uses these beautiful this beautiful picture um, between a mother and a father as 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 a, as a sort of a, a picture for how he ministered and cared for them externally, that things that they could see and they could touch. And remember that key word that he said, "You know, you remember, you're my witnesses." All of these things pointing to the firsthand account of of their uh, knowing uh, how Paul lived amongst him. They knew firsthand. And so uh, Paul says, 
as apostles, sort of midway through verse 6, we see as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. And so Paul, as he now begins to look at the externals, he's, he's defended himself, he's shown the integrity of his heart, and then he kind of pauses and says, you know what, um, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, we could have asked certain things of you. And so he had this apostolic authority, which meant that he was sent by God. Uh, let's just pause and, and sort of reflect about Paul, like who, who was Paul? So he's an apostle of the early church. He, um, he is the man who God used to, to, to take the gospel beyond the Jewish people and, and to the Gentiles. So for the majority of us who are studying today, uh, we are Gentiles. We are not Jewish by DNA or birth and, or, or in practice in large part. We are uh, Gentiles, outsiders. And so Paul was used by God uh, to take the gospel to these that were outside of sort of the family of faith for the Jewish people. Think about how God used this man. Uh, in, in our Bibles that we hold in our hands of the New Testament, you have uh, sort of the, the gospel account, the story of Jesus' life. And then we get into the epistles, these, these letters. The New Testament has 27 books, whether they're books or letters, um, there's what we would refer to as 27 books. Of these 27 books, we know absolutely that Paul wrote 13 of these books. So that's huge. So mu- much of what we know about how you know the church that, that we're living out today, how we live, function, practice, the things that we do— our knowledge about how to do church life and to function as a body of believers in large part comes from the revelation uh, a, a revelation of God that God used Paul to, to, to bring to us. Um, the, Paul is kind of a big deal. He kind of still is a big deal that here we are uh, 2,000 years later still being influenced by his, his teaching. And so he says... I'm an apostle of Christ, and th- this is th- this is a, a very unique position. There, there were, uh, if we have the original 12, one fell out, then you had a replacement, that's 12, and then Paul was added in as an apostle. There, so there's, what does that make, f- uh, 14 total apostles that's, that were sort of uh, endorsed by God to go out to fulfill this? Um, he could have gone in and made many demands on them, but he didn't. He went in as a man, as one who was in the trenches with them. One of the greatest compliments I, I received um, is, it was from an individual that was at our church for a number of years, but they had to move away. And so they, re, they relocated uh, to another part of the nation, and they were getting settled in, in their new church. And they really enjoyed their new church. And as we were kind of checking in with them, uh, one of one of the, the 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 husband of this couple, he basically sent me a note and he said, "You know what? I always re- really appreciated your preaching, Gunner, because you don't speak down to us. You uh, you communicate to us as 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 though you're in the trenches with us, and I really appreciate that with you." And and it sort of came in the context that he was under a, a teaching that was not so much like that. And 
A few months ago, I shared about last summer, a year ago when we went down for the 4th of July celebration at Shadow Mountain, and our family always likes watching my brother-in-law, Michael Sanchez. My boys just love the patriotic music and the big displays that they have. And so Maria, my sister-in-law, had redecorated uh, Michael's office. And so he said, oh, you guys want, after the service, you guys want to go check out my new office to see how Maria designed it and that sort of thing. And so he went into the office. While we were there, another person from the worship team or choir, I wasn't really sure who it was, they popped their head and they said, hey, there's a bunch of leftover pizza. And would you like some? And of course, I would like some free pizza. And so I thought we were just going to go back to where the the you know, the, the choir hung out, like the however many people. But it turned out we were going back to what they called the green room, and it was, this was like a very fancy area. And, a, and you, there was security sort of blocking the doors and the key code to get in. And, and so then we went in there. It turned out it was like David Jeremiah was back there with his family. And suddenly we felt very small and like out of place. And, and so we were kind of minding our business, sort of there was, a, you know, a, a, some some pizza sort of left over and then Dr. Jeremiah came over and started chatting with us and and he saw that like looking at our family and seeing how much pizza there was that there wasn't enough and he basically said hey let's get him some more pizza and then he saw oh there's not enough drinks here he didn't say anything he made this happen without saying it but then we like look over he'd gone back to his office and he's in a suit and he's sort of carrying these sodas to, to put on the table for our family. And it, it, it was such, for me, it had such a huge impact. Here, here this is, like, you know, David Jeremiah is like almost 80 years old. He's super respected in the ministry. He, he's, he's a man that um, I would have hopped up and done just about anything for. And here he is uh, serving me and, and our family um, in, in a way that he didn't have to. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it's one of these verses where the Apostle Paul uh, says that our example is Christ Jesus, and, and he demonstrated humility. And in his humility, uh, this is what we as followers of Christ are to, to reflect and imitate in our own lives. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather uh, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so this is a, a, a beautiful picture. And Paul says, that he lived his life this way. And he's already asked them to recollect his time with them. And he says, you know what? As apostles, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. And he says, we, we, were, we were gentle. And, and this is such a picture of, of Paul. You, you know, it, it's, it's striking to me that... Uh, you know, in the review and sort of orientation to First Thessalonians and, and how Paul ended up there, it began back in Acts chapter 15. And as they were planning on going out, sort of following up on the first mission, on the second missionary journey of the ministry that they had done in, during the first ministry, they were going on the second one. 
there was the issue with John Mark. Remember, he and Barnabas got in this big argument, and he said he quit on us. Whatever happened, he, he flaked on them, and Paul was not going to allow him to come with them. So there's like this harsh, I mean, it feels harsh. It depends where you stand on this, but, it, but there's, uh, it just seems so harsh and not Christ-like. And, and I'm not saying that that's true, um, but here, as he goes into Thessalonica, we see that this, this, this with these new, young, brand new baby believers, Paul says, I was gentle among you. And the, the, the picture that he uses is a, is a, as a mother caring for her children. Sort of, you get the, the, the idea of like a nursing mom or, or, a, a, a mother who's caring for a very, a young child. It's it's a special, sweet uh, a picture. This this word uh, gentle. It's only used two times in the New Testament, and the other time is over in Second Timothy, uh, chapter two, verse twenty four. So as as Paul's getting ready to be executed, he sort of sends his last will and testament to young Timothy, and so his last will and testament to Timothy is recorded to us in Second Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, we read, And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone and able to teach, not resentful. And so here this word is, is, all, is interpreted in the English as kindness. And so we have gentleness, kindness. Um, make, and when I hear kindness, it makes me think of how God works in our lives to lead us to, to salvation, to lead us towards repentance. In Romans 2.4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So it's not an overbearing God. It's not an angry God. It's our Father in heaven who is kind and gentle towards us while we are yet sinners, and he loves us. And, and in that love, there, it, he almost like breaks us to the point to where we, we come to the place of saying, Lord, I was wrong. You are right. Here's my life. Use me. Take me. I, I'm all yours. It's beautiful. Like a mother. Nothing depicts the picture of gentleness like a mother with a newborn baby. If you get a mom with a, you know, especially like their first child and they just want to keep everybody away. And I, from humans to, to, to like a, a dog that has pups or any sort of animal, like uh, they're very protective and guarded and gentle with their, with their, um, with, with their newborn baby. Um, it, it really is a beautiful thing. I've been thinking about this this week, and, and so I am married to a mom, and so Anna in our house is very gentle, and I, I, I always, I see her, and I think, oh, I need to be more like that, and this week we had sort of a funny one, you know, Gideon's this rough and tumble eight-year-old boy, and I, so I wasn't home when this happened, and but I I could see it all in my mind, and so Anna Anna tells me he's just been sort of you know not really paying attention to everything, and he's doing another thing, and he you know he's prone to like break stuff, and it just happens. I get it. I, he's my little mini me, and I lived most of my life like that, and and so 
um, he, his job was to go out to the chicken coop to get some eggs. And I guess Anna like briefed him, like, don't break the eggs, be really careful, you know, take them out, put them in the basket, be really cautious about it. And the little guy took his job really seriously. And I was like, we briefed it, he was ready. And I guess he went and got the, the eggs, got him in the basket. And he was basically making his way back into the house. And he, uh, you know, he he tripped, and when he tripped, he skinned his knee, and a couple of the eggs came out and broke. And Anna could see it from like inside of the house, looking out, and she said that she could just see he was like devastated, and he just felt so bad because he was trying so hard not to break an egg, and he tripped and he broke an egg, and then he knew that his mother had just like given him this briefing to be very very careful. And so Anna, you know, tells me that she went and she, you know, held him and and she just could tell that he was like broken up about it. And she just described how she held him and and told him it was okay. And just uh, something that I need to work on. Uh, Paul will talk about fathers and, you know, stereotypically there's a different reaction. But we've all seen the, the, the gentle touch of a mother. And this is the picture that Paul uses uh, for how he was amongst them. In 2 Timothy 4.2, so later um, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage. And there's always this phrase, he says, with great patience and careful instruction. And I think there's a lesson in this. Uh, it, it's a picture, it's a lesson for how we um, who have been walking with the Lord for a while, uh, for those that are new in the faith and ha- who are who are, you know, stumbling and making mistakes and and still struggling with their sin nature, struggling with their environment, figuring out how how does this new Christian life fit with the world that they've known their whole lives, and so for us who are mature, there's this example and this teaching to us that we who are mature need to be gentle and, and patient with those who are young. We can't expect maturity out of a new baby Christian. Uh, we're gentle, and we try to lead them and help them so that as they grow and mature, you don't expect maturity out of an eight-year-old boy. You don't expect maturity out of a six-month-old baby. You, you you start by like 16, 17, 18, you, you know, you want more and more maturity. And so we need to be gentle with how we care for uh, new young babies in the faith. And if you're young in the faith, I remember when I was still young in my Christian faith, beating myself up and just all I had was my earthly examples of, of parents who got really, I mean, I grew up in an abusive home. And so really feeling like I blew it, like God's grace is done with me, like the church is going to not love me anymore. But that's not at all the example we see. Look look what Paul says. He says, we loved you so much. This is beautiful. Paul says we were gentle like a mother. And we've all, like over and over, either you've experienced not all of us have, but, but in large part, most of us have experienced the loving touch of, of a mother or you've seen the loving touch of a mother. 
and how gentle and kind and, and just uh, what they do so um, sacrificially for the other, for the child of theirs. He says, we loved you so much. Paul has this deep, deep affection for the, these young believers who he's, uh, when he first met, them, you know, there was, he just met them for the first time. He's there for three or four weeks. And now at the time of writing, maybe it's six months and he's hearing reports from Timothy about them. But deep in his core, he loves them. And he says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share the gospel with you. Not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And so he says, we were delighted to share with you the gospel of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4, it lays it out. I, I, I know that I probably sound like a broken record, but we can't, we can't hear this enough. The gospel is that Jesus entered into this world and he lived the perfect life. And then ultimately at the end of his life, he was offered as a sacrifice. We're told that he went to the cross as it was prophesied in scriptures. He was killed on the cross. He was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And he did this as, as, a, as a payment for our sins. He, he did this as a substitute for us that on the cross, he went there in our place. Uh, and he, the wrath of God was poured out onto him. And this is called substitutionary atonement. This is a, a theological term. And then through his substitute, we receive the benefits of what he did through faith. In Ephesians 1.13, that whole section, it says, you know, after hearing the gospel, you believed. And at that moment of belief, the Holy Spirit uh, enters you and you're sealed until the day of redemption. So he talks about it was our great pleasure. Uh, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but there's this but but also something well, also something else, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So it's not like there's this, this abstract distance sort of in relationship with, with them. And I, and I think that this speaks to the importance of a community uh, within Christianity, um, the, the church, like the word church in the Bible literally means assembly, gathering. Um, there, there's always been great risk throughout the ages f for people gathering in, in the name of Christ. Um, right now we're going through a pandemic or whatever we're going through, like whatever's happening right now. We find ourselves uh, where they've opened up. They've, you know, we're allowed to gather. But but over the last six months, there's been some sort of locking down and some restrictions and some sort of the. Um, th th there's been a tug of war for what to do for church. How does how do how do we do this? How does this happen? We've all had to go through these things. Um, throughout history, Christians have. You know, some parts of the world hidden in caves. They show up in secret locations for, for uh, using discretion because if they're found out, they could be executed. And they are like present day in the last couple of weeks in Africa, 
um, a number of our brothers and sisters in Christ have been executed simply for for gathering, and so there, there, there always is a risk. Um, but we're called to gather because in the gathering, the Bible tells us that we who are followers of Christ, that He's given us gifts, and these gifts are used uh, within our midst to, to help one another and to, uh, to to be there for one another, to build each other up as the body of, of Christ. Um, it's not. It's never been just about an hour on Sunday. It's been about community, uh, because life is filled with ups and downs. And when you're up, there are others who are down, and you can be used to, to come alongside them. I, I, I think of so much with the Rouses and what they're going through with young Hannah. Keep them in your prayers. The next, really, the next two months as they battle leukemia is going to be rough. She's in the hospital Wednesday through Saturday right now. But you know what? Because they are such a part of our, our body and so embedded with us, and when they hit this bump and their world sort of dropped out from underneath them, they, they have their family of fellow believers who we can come alongside and minister and pray and just be for them in a tangible way. Um, I have a friend that planted a church many years ago, and he says, I didn't plant the church. He's like, I planted my life. And that phrase has always struck me. Um, in, a, in an age when pastors seem to, to, to move on every few years, um, I really have planted my life in Valley Center and want to, to be involved in, in our community and with our body, um, really for the duration of people's lives. And so this is an example that we see that, that we're called to gather, we're called to not just have shallow, fake relationships. We're, we're called to really get messy and to exchange our lives with one another. And this is what Paul did, and that we live in grace and that we manifest grace and we're all gracious with one another and that we just help each other and guide and like lead each other and sort of help us navigate the ups and downs of life. And so I said I would keep it short and I've actually followed through with it. We're, we're right at the end. When I look at this short section of these three verses, what I, what I see is I see a, a great humility by Paul. He, as an apostle, could have uh, really lorded over them in many ways, and yet he says, uh, I, I didn't. I, I was humble with you. I, I was a, a servant in your midst, just as our Lord was. It was Jesus who in Mark 10.45 said, I didn't come uh, to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's our example. That's how our lives should be, that we should be rooted in humility and servanthood and that we would really uh, be a a church that's composed of individuals that cares about doing unto others through uh, loving one another and really uh, giving of our lives to one another, opening up and really growing closer in relationship. And so, This passage has been very encouraging to me. I hope that it has been an encouragement to you. I hope you stay cool today because it's a hot one. Um, Reach out to us. Let us know that you're watching. Let us know how we can pray for you. Um, Again, we we would love to have you in the directory. So if you're not in there, reach out to Melanie. Um, I look forward to seeing you next week. And I hope you guys are blessed. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for our church family, we thank you for the example that has been set for us within the letter of Thessalonians. 
we pray, God, that you would help us to be like Jesus, Lord, that we would be humble, that we would serve, and that we would um, give of ourselves out of love uh, for one another, that we would truly uh, share our lives with, with each other through the ups and downs and the, just the, the, the good and the ugly, and that we would truly uh, honor you in all that we are and all that we do. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, go in peace. I look forward to seeing you all next week. God bless you.